So you all ready for Christmas? No. No. Got some bad news for you. It's like a week away. You do know why Santa's assistant gets depressed this time of year, right? Low elf esteem. Do you know what Adam said to his wife the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. (laughs) Have you ever thought about the possibility that God could have sent three wise women instead of three wise men? The wise women would have asked for directions. They would have showed up on time. They would have helped deliver the baby and clean the stable. Yesterday, I learned that Santa Claus is actually Chinese. His real name is way too fat. And that's why all the, choice, all the toys say, made in China. It makes perfect sense, right? Oh, well, let's, let's pray and just invite God's blessing on our time together in His Word. Now that I have you all disturbed with all that. Lord, this time of year is a special time of year. We acknowledge freely that we should be grateful that you sent your son. We should be grateful every day. But at Christmas time, it's a special time to celebrate, to uh, honor King Jesus uh, for coming, for being a part of our lives. And so we're grateful that we can celebrate uh, together. And uh, we especially look forward in a very special way to being able to celebrate next Sunday together. And we just pause and ask for your blessing on your word this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come, that he would be present, that he'd be active. Speak into our hearts and speak into our lives is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, timing is everything? I hear that frequently. Um, I thought of it this morning. I was... Over here on Foster Road at the red light facing east, and I was scanning the little parking lot out here, and there was one empty parking spot. And as I sat there, a black Nissan pickup truck, you know who you are, came toward me on Foster Road, made the right turn, went into the parking lot, and took that last spot. And I thought, well, that's perfect. If I had just been here like three minutes sooner... Or the driver of the black Nissan pickup truck had been three minutes later. I could have parked right there. I remember it was August 27th, 2017, 2015. uh, A woman in her pickup truck. I got this thing with pickup trucks. What's up with that? This woman in her pickup truck hit my friend Steve and me while we were on a bike ride. And I'll never forget when the police officers came to uh, kind of investigate what was going on. They asked me one question. The police officer said to me, is there anything you could have done to avoid this accident? And I said, yes, I could have stayed home in bed. (laughs) Cops are probably used to smart Alex like me. But I want to come this morning... And look into the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And you're familiar with the fact, I assume, 
that the story of the birth of John the Baptist and the story of Jesus are kind of wrapped together in Luke's gospel. And so I want you to come with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at three different kind of perspectives on the relationship that Elizabeth and Zacharias had in trusting God. And I want us to realize this morning in a fresh way that God always accomplishes His purposes in His time and in His way. God always acts on time. Have you discovered that to be true? No, that's not on my time. I want it on my time. And so I want you to come with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to take a, take a peek, take a look into the lives of this, this very special and, and very important couple. And so I want to begin in verse 5 of, of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And one of the things I want you to pay attention to as we go through here is all the notations about time. You'll see the word days. You'll see the word hour. You'll see the word months. This whole story is kind of wrapped around the idea of time. Things happening at certain times. And so first of all, I want you to notice with me the, the situation that Elizabeth and Zacharias faced. The scripture says that he was a, a priest. And it says that also... Um, he was an, of the order of Abijah. But what strikes me most here is Elizabeth's name. Anyone know what Elizabeth means? The name Elizabeth? The name Elizabeth means promise of God. And the name Zacharias means God remembers. And so here's this, this couple... And what we learn about Elizabeth, it says that she was married to a priest. She was of the priestly family, a daughter of Aaron. Her name is Elizabeth. She walked blamelessly along with her husband in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But, what's the big but in Elizabeth and Zacharias' life? No child. She was barren. So, here's this godly couple. The Scripture says righteous. The Scripture says walked blamelessly. And that word blameless means if you were drug into court and charges were made, there'd be no evidence to support it. This was a, a godly couple serving God. The best they knew how. He is a priest, and she is a priest's wife. But she's barren. And so, one of the things that I think of when I realize that in that culture, to not have children was a major crisis. Because people around you assumed if you had no children, it was your fault. And 
it was assumed that the reason you didn't have children was because that was God's judgment on you because you were sinful. And so here's the scripture on the one side telling us this couple is righteous and blameless. And then the other side, they're in this culture that makes these assumptions about them. And that's the situation they found themselves in. Blameless, righteous, but barren. And so the scripture goes on to suggest to us that not only was they, were they in this condition, could we say that was a situation of no hope? No hope. Because how, how is Elizabeth described? It's interesting. She's described with these words and not Zacharias. It says of her that she was advanced in age. What does that suggest to you? You know, how old was she? I don't know. In that culture, probably someone in their 40s and 50s would be considered old. Many scholars believe they would have been in their 60s. So here they are in this situation, no hope. Disappointed in this major part of life. The scriptures say in in Psalm 127, children are, anyone know what that passage says? Children are a gift of the Lord. They are God's reward. And so when, when you're in this situation of being childless, And you're advanced in years. There is no hope. And I I don't know this morning if you find yourself in circumstances in your life. Maybe something you've been praying about for a number of years. Maybe something that's been heavy on your heart that you've been asking God to do and it has not happened. Hope disappointed. That's where Elizabeth and Zacharias are. And I find it a little bit, I don't know if comical is the right word, but I find some humor in the fact that here they are in this situation of no hope. They're in this situation of praying, asking God for a child. And his name means God remembers and her name means God, God's promise. Hope disappointed. But I'm glad the story goes on from there because it moves on. The situation they're in, and now I want you to understand the setting that gave God the opportunity to work in Elizabeth's life. So beginning in verse 8, it says, Now it happened that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. What petition is that? Child. He says, your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. 
He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel appeared and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. She kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. And so, here's Zacharias. In this situation, no hope, childless. And Luke records all these details about the service that he was providing in the temple. The scripture says that he was a part of the order or the division of Abijah. And if we understand the culture of of the day, there would have been about 20,000 priests in Jerusalem, available to serve. Those 20,000 priests were divided into 24 divisions. If you do the math real quick, how many priests are in each of those 24 divisions? You're right, 833. And so, each of these divisions has roughly between eight and 850 priests. And they are chosen by lot as he was, to serve at the altar of incense. And I've got some pictures I want to remind you of what the temple looks like, what the holy place looks like, and where this, this altar of incense would have been. So if you remember, the temple grounds look roughly like this, with the uh, holy place, that elevated spot there. The next picture shows you kind of the inside of what that holy place would have looked like, with the altar of incense and the incense going up. And then the next picture shows you kind of what the top of that altar might have looked like. And so Zacharias is chosen by lot, and the priest would serve for two weeks. They would go to the altar of incense before the morning sacrifice, and again at the time of the evening sacrifice. And they would serve for two weeks. Once in their lifetime, most likely. Many priests never had the privilege of coming in and serving at the altar of incense or the golden candlestick or the table of showbread because there were more priests than there was opportunity. And so here in the providence of God, Zacharias is chosen by lot to be at the altar of incense. What is, what is incense a picture of in your Bible? 
What is incense a symbol of in the Scriptures? In fact, I think I just heard someone say the right word. You're a little anxious about it. But the Scriptures talk about our prayers rising up to God as incense. And so, I just find it kind of interesting that here's a priest, a godly, righteous, blameless man, according to the Scriptures, whose name means God remembers, and he's been praying and praying, and God has not answered. And where, by the providence of God and by lot, is he standing? (laughs) Prayer. Zacharias. And then God sends an angel to Zacharias with a very special message. And he tells him very simply, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Give him the name John. So, your wife Elizabeth. And in my notes I wrote to myself, accept no substitutes. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? How did they solve the problem? Hagar. And the angel says to Zacharias, your wife, the old lady, that's my paraphrase, the one who's advanced in age, she's going to have a son. Not only is she going to have a child, but she's going to have a son. She's going to have an heir. She's going to have one to carry on the family name. Zacharias, the angel, is promising to him, your wife is going to have going to give you a boy, a son. Name him John. And what does the name John mean? God is gracious. So here's the man God remembers and his wife, God's promise, and they're going to have a son named God's gracious. And of course, Zacharias is excited. He jumps up and down. He can't believe. No, that's not how he responds. What, what's he say? Are you sure? Yeah, that's exactly my paraphrase. Are you sure about this? That, that old woman's going to have a baby? And so, the other irony in this passage is, the angel tells Zacharias that his son is going to be the way maker the forerunner for the Messiah. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so, up until this moment in time, God has not spoken. God has been silent. For how long? 400 years. And the first communication that God sends after 400 years comes to Zacharias. Wow. And his response is, no. And so, Zacharias quotes the last two verses of Malachi, or I'm sorry, the angel quotes to Zacharias the last two verses of Malachi, the last two verses of your Old Testament, after 400 years of silence, and Zechariah does not believe. So here is hope. Here is hope put on display. Here is hope held out to Zacharias. And his response is, Nah, come on. 
The other thing that I find intriguing here is that Elizabeth does become pregnant and she instantly runs out and tells everybody the test came back positive, the rabbit died, whatever you know method there was. That's not what she did. What did she do? She did you say hid? That's exactly right. She hid out. My Bible uses the word seclusion. I don't know what your translation says. What does it mean to be secluded? By yourself. And how long did she do that? Five months. How many weeks is that? Twenty-two. And so, why did she do that? Was she embarrassed that she was pregnant? I, I don't understand what her, her rationale was, what her thinking was. She waited 22 weeks. And then I remember when we were pregnant with our first child, we waited to tell people. My wife was a medical assistant, had worked in a doctor's office for five, six years. And um, we had decided initially to wait a while to have children. All of our friends were having kids. And so we decided, you know, let's get on the program here. And it didn't happen. But finally, after six years, um, Andrea became pregnant. But because of working in the doctor's office with a doctor with small children and delivering babies, and she would watch multiple times women come in, they were pregnant, and then they miscarried. And that disappointment and everything that was attached to it. And Andrea saw this happen multiple times, and so she persuaded me that we were going to wait at least three months before we told anybody. And that made sense. And so, we were five months pregnant. Well, I wasn't pregnant. And we drove to her parents' home to tell them that we were expecting. And I'll never forget when we told her mom and dad that we were expecting... Her mother jumped up, excited, jumping around, and all of a sudden she starts counting, trying to figure out when the baby's going to be due. Baby's going to do be due around Easter time, probably around April. And uh, uh, no, uh, the baby's going to be born in December. Waiting five months was so hard. Because you're excited, you want to share the news. My wife kept saying, no, 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 no. So here's Elizabeth. She's pregnant. She waits all this time in seclusion. But I noticed she believes what the angel said. Who was it that got struck dumb and couldn't speak? Zacharias. Because he didn't believe the angel's message. And if I read this passage carefully, and you kind of check this this with me in verse 62, 
it appears that not only was he mute, but he possibly would have been deaf also. Because the scripture says they had to make signs to him. You don't need to make signs to someone that hears, right? And so here are the parents of John the Baptist. They've gone from no hope. Hope has been delayed. Hope is not happening. There's no hope. And now the angel comes and and hope is on display. She becomes pregnant. And hope ultimately, in my terminology as I think about this, finally hope is, is delivered. And so if you start reading, and I've kind of jumped ahead of where the scripture says, um, in verse 57 of chapter 1, the time came, there's the word time again, right? Has come for Elizabeth to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They were going to call him Zacharias after his father. His mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father to what he wanted him called. There's where I got my idea that he probably was deaf too. He asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. At once his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. All these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea, I'll bet. And all who heard them kept in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And so, here's the, the, we started with the situation we, uh, that, they, that Elizabeth and Zacharias were in. We talked about the setting that gave God opportunity to bless them. And then the final solution is the birth of the child, Right? And hope is finally delivered. Uh, she's pregnant. She doesn't doubt God. He blesses them with a, a son, a special child. The promise is he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And what struck me as I thought about this is when God delivers hope, he delivers it in abundance. Overflow. That's the kind of God we have. He delivers on his promises. God keeps His promises. I was thinking earlier when the worship team started with standing on the promises, I thought, what? That's not a Christmas song. What's wrong with you? And then I thought, wait a minute. Christmas is all about God's promises. What better song to sing? It's all about God's promises. God over delivers. There's times in our lives when we have no hope. There's times in our lives when we get glimmers that maybe there's some hope ahead. And when God delivers on His promises, He over-delivers. I like that about our God. I read the story some time ago of Arnold Palmer. Besides the famous drink that he's famous for, he was also a golfer that was pretty good. Arnold Palmer in his day was the foremost golfer on the planet. And the king of Saudi Arabia invited Arnold Palmer to come to Saudi Arabia and do some demonstrations. And they had some demonstration golf matches and and so on. And the king was so pleased and and so happy with with, uh, Arnold Palmer, he told Arnold, I want to give you a special gift 
to thank you and to express the appreciation of our country for your coming and, and teaching us about golf. And Palmer said, oh, your, your majesty, that's not necessary. It's been my honor to come and be here. And the king says, no, I insist that we give you a gift. And Arnold Palmer said, well, then perhaps a golf club would be appropriate. And so the king said, done. The next morning at Arnold Palmer's hotel room, they delivered to him the deed to a golf club. (laughs) Several acres of fairways and water hazards and so on, along with a beautiful clubhouse. And Arnold Palmer was gifted with a golf club. And as I read that story in this context, I thought, that's exactly what God does. We're expecting him to give us a shaft of steel, you know, and he drops a whole golf club. That's how our God is. That's how he operates. And this couple who in that culture would have been, as it's expressed, disgraced, shamed, without a child, no hope, danced in years, That's not changing, not getting any younger, right? And in the midst of that setting, in the midst of the irony of a godly, God-fearing, God-worshipping priest who doesn't believe God's promise, God delivers. God delivers. And so in my mind, as I think about that, I'm reminded that God's time isn't my time. But His time is always the right time. And I suspect many of you have discovered that. In your mind, there's a right time for something to take place. And your expectation is that time is now. And it doesn't happen. Am I the only one that's experienced that? But God's time is always right. The second thing I observe here is that God uses the disappointments and the time of waiting to build qualities in my life and in your life, making us more like Jesus. God puts me in His waiting room to teach me to depend upon Him, to trust Him, to rely on Him. He wants to teach me that I can always count on Him to deliver. He will ultimately deliver hope. I'm reminded of Mary and Martha wanting Jesus to come and heal their brother. Lazarus was sick. You remember the story? Their sense of timing was they wanted Jesus to come now and heal Lazarus because he's sick. And in God's timetable, Jesus waited four days until Lazarus had died. And on God's timetable, Jesus came and didn't just heal Lazarus, raised him from the dead. God always delivers on His promises over, over the top. A third thought that I think of as I read the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth is that God's delays aren't always God's denials. There's a lot of waiting in the Scriptures, isn't there? Pastor Oscar shared with us in part of one of his sermons in the last two weeks about Abraham and Sarah. And the fact that Abraham waited 25 years, from age 75 to age 100, right, Oscar? Before God delivered. That's a long time to wait. 
And I think of other times in Scripture where there was waiting. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, gets to Egypt and is kind of in a great, great spot and then winds up in prison for three years before God elevates him to prime minister in Egypt. Wait. I'm not a fan of waiting. I don't, I don't wait well. But I learned that when we pray a prayer that is not right, God says, no. When I pray a prayer and I'm not right, God says, grow. When I pray a prayer and the timing is not right, God says, slow. But when I pray a prayer and all is right, God says, go. So all delays are not denials. All delays are not denials. Hope always comes in God's time. And I learned that I can always trust God's timing. Do you trust God's timing today? Is there, is there anything going on in, in your life, in your life circumstances, where you find yourself in God's waiting room, waiting for God to deliver? Is there anything going on in your, in your life where you find yourself thinking there's no hope, there's no solution? Like Zacharias and Elizabeth, who I believe were still praying for a child even though she was advanced in age. They seem to still be praying because the angel said to Zacharias, I've come to answer your prayer. Maybe there's a circumstance going on like that in your life. You can trust God in His time to deliver hope. You can always trust Him to do that. We sang a song back in the 70s that I've always loved. In His time, in His time, He makes all things beautiful in His time. Lord, please show me every day as You're teaching me Your way that you do just what you say in your time. In your time, in your time. You make all things beautiful in your time. Lord, my life to you I bring. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. You can trust your God to deliver hope in his time. God always delivers hope on time. Lord, I thank you this morning for the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth. I thank you for their godliness. I thank you for the struggle that they endured. I thank, I thank you for the reminder to me that not every prayer is answered on my timetable. But I'm grateful that you're a God who always delivers on time. And I pray this, this morning for any of my brothers and sisters gathered here and those watching on YouTube that if this is the time of struggle, a time of wrestling with faith and trust, finding himself or herself in a situation of little or no hope, that you would encourage their heart this morning that you're a God who always delivers on time. You tell us that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask or think. 
I love the promise of Jeremiah when he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast created the heavens and the earth with your great power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too difficult for you. And so remind us afresh this morning that you're a God who always delivers hope on time. And we give you thanks for that assurance in the name of our Savior, King Jesus. Amen.